Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Conversations with T. So today I'm going to piggyback off the foster care conversation because I feel like it's an important topic to talk about because it's interesting that a lot of us have similar situations when it comes to the foster care system, but a lot of people don't get the opportunity to express what's going on or what their experience was. So I was able to meet somebody who was in the foster care system in Florida, and he wants to share his story. And then we're going to talk about the importance of mentoring within the foster care system. So please welcome Jackie Lewis, and he is going to introduce himself. <laughs> hey, Jackie. Yes, I'm a man of many hats. So first, my first beloved profession is I am a husband and father. Those, those are the two dear most to my heart. After that, I am a professional speaker and author. So I know that you were raised in the foster care system. Tell us a little bit about the time frame because you went into the system as a baby, right? Not necessarily a baby, but early elementary school. Like I couldn't have been okay. any older than like five, six. So, so very um, young. Yeah. Initially, when I'm when I first get in foster care, I don't know why I am there. I just know I'm separated from my parents. So I know they're out there somewhere. <laughs> but eventually my mother passes away while I'm in the foster care system. I know I'm still in elementary school at this time, probably around first grade. Oh, wow. Your yeah. biological mom, right? Yeah, my biological mom. And so with that, I remember attending her funeral and I remember going to her grave. And mind you, I'm maybe seven at the time. One of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life was me crying out for my mother. You know, you're a child, you're in a unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people and I, you cry out, I want my mommy because that's where your comfort is. Mm-hmm. You know, at, as important as fathers are, the mother is like the center of comfort for children. Right. And so... I just remember my foster parent telling me, your mom doesn't want you. That's why you're here. And I'm like, the whole time my mom is dead, but in the back of my head, I'm still like, she clearly couldn't have wanted me because I am here, you know? So eventually I make my place to this place called SOS Children's Village in South Florida, located in Coconut Creek. Which would be considered like a children's home or a group home, right? Yes. It was unique in the fact that it was, it's its own isolated neighborhood. So oh. it's like a, a little cul-de-sac, if you will. And in that, it was great because it was able to give me a sense of family. Mm-hmm. So I've met people that I still call my cousins to this day. And for me, the... The number one failing of the foster care system is the lack of security or attentiveness to their children. Right. Because even when I was at the 
the lady's house who I was crying out for my mother, there was times where I had to go to a babysitter. And mind you, I'm in elementary school and this lady is saying things to me like, let's go to my room and have sex. Or she's touching on me, like literally grabbing my butt. And I'm like, I, I'm telling my, my foster parent at the time, I don't like this. And she's like, you're a boy, get over it. With my last foster care experience episode, I didn't even touch on or mention how many children are sexually assaulted and abused in the system. And mm-hmm. how many children are afraid to speak up because they don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. There's also the double standard of because I'm a boy that sexual assault from a woman is not sexual assault. Like all touching of that kind is welcomed and it's not, you know. Right. <laughs> so, but while I was at SOS, I I will say that I was afforded a good life. Um you know, like everything else, you take the good and the bad, but it was definitely overwhelmingly good, especially mm-hmm. in the sense that I got to meet my adoptive mother, who I I call to this day, I call her almost every day. Whenever something is going wrong in my life, you know, who you call? You call your mom. Right. And that's what, that's what she is to me. Like, there's no difference. Her and my dad. So. And how know. old were you when you met them? When I met them, I was in fourth grade, which like oh, yeah. eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got adopted, I was 16. So from, you know, that, that whole journey, um, you know, most foster kids aren't fortunate enough to be adopted at such a late age. Right. Because we're considered pop problems. And what I like to explain to people is, is that nine times out of the ten, nine times out of ten, the foster child that is having problems or acting out is seeking attention and love. Right. But they don't see it that way. Most people they just see it as a child acting out. Let's medicate them. Uh, I don't know, like the clinical science word for it, like give them what is it, like an IED. Oh, IEP for like IEP. Yeah, give them something like that. And, you know, we're not fixing the underlying issue, which is this child needs to feel loved. Right. And I think it's also important to mention that kids who act out, not only are they seeking love, but sometimes they don't know how to show love either, because normally, depending on where you're at, that's when you start getting that attention is when you're acting out, not when you're being good, when you're being good then a lot of times you're the one that's ignored. Yeah. So that I think that's important to throw out there too, is why, why do we see a lot of um, attitude or, you know, misbehavior in children that are older? Well, period, period, because <laughs> <laughs> all ages kids do that. It's, like you said, usually for the attention and that's when they know they're going to get it. There's a lack of empathy involved in the foster care system. 
on both sides from the workers and the house parents. Because mm-hmm. I remember even after I had got adopted, you know, they still come by, they do wellness checkups and things of that nature. My social worker told my mother, like, oh, your son's going to be dead or in jail. It, it, it was so bad to the point where growing up, I did not believe I would make it to see the age of 25. Yeah. Like, and I, that, I, that's actually a perfect segue to the statistics about that. So mm-hmm. children in foster care are one in five, which about one in five children in foster care from the age of 17 to 21 are incarcerated. So it's, while it's, first of all, insensitive for that social worker or caseworker to say that, unfortunately, when we look at the statistics, mm-hmm. it's realistic. It's crazy because I never thought of it that way, like looking at it from a statistical standpoint. I have only processed it from a emotional standpoint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like, you know, even though it, now it's not offensive because I'm where I'm at in life. Right. But, but then it was like, why would you think so lowly of me? You know, it's right. And, you know, I think, like you said, it's a lack, lack of empathy, though. There's a way to do things. And for her to have said that, but not, I, well, I'm assuming, not provide any way out of that statistic. Yes. It's um, problematic. But again, it's, I, most people are there to collect a check and do a job. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. And I get it from, from a point you have to provide for yourself and your family. But if you're dealing with something that involves other people's lives, then you would want, you should also be somewhat emotionally invested mm-hmm. to wanting to better the people who you are impacting. For sure. I agree. So if you were to have changed anything about the Florida system, um, cause I know we talked a little bit about the Kansas system. That's where I'm from. Yeah. Um, what would you have changed through your process and what do you, we'll start there. What would you have changed through your process? So for me, I would have better and more qualified house parents or even temporary foster homes. I would do a extensive background check for parents to make sure that they're not just collecting a check. Um, And I would insist that each child do therapy Mm -hmm. um, quarterly, annually, somewhat. Um, I think if we offered the mental health services to a lot of these children, we could find and fix the underlying problems rather than just cover it up. Because what the foster care system has become from my point of view is a system. It, you, a lot of foster children, they grow up with a chip on their shoulder and a sense of entitlement. So when you go through life and everything is handed to you because I've gotten free college, I've gotten free clothes, free money, and all this the state has provided, and that's amazing. 
because a lot of kids don't even have that much. But if you do not explain and teach people that these resources, they are limited and they will not last forever. Right. And you explain to them that while you were getting these resources, you need to be, pay, be preparing yourself to be on your own without these resources. And a lot of that doesn't happen. So we have these people, they feel entitled to everyone's money and that the world owes mm -hmm. them something and they don't. So when these people inevitably grow up and they have children, they are not mature and mentally in a place where they can take care of the child because they still feel as if everybody owes them something instead of saying that I owe this child something. Right. So the child ends up in foster care and the cycle repeats itself. So you said that you were formally adopted at 16. Do you mm -hmm. know what the, um, what the qualifications is to getting the resources? Because one of the things um, I was thinking, I don't know if I mentioned it in the last episode or not, but I uh, adopt, was adopted technically by my mom at 12, I think it was, 12 or 13, right? Mm -hmm. But in Kansas, in order to get access to any of the resources for foster children at the time when I was going into school, we may have changed now, um, I had to be 14 at the time of adoption. Mm. So I wonder if there's any limitations like that for Florida or if that's a, you know, federal mandate. I don't know because I was, like I said, I was adopted at 16 and I still received the free college and I even got a monthly stipend for being in school full time, mm -hmm. um, depending upon my grades, of course, but <laughs> yeah. But that's good to know too, that it is a possibility for some students across the country to mm -hmm. get access to free schooling and yes. monthly help. Mm -hmm. um, so you met your adoptive parents. Are they together or are they separate? No, they're together. Okay. So yeah. adoptive parents at nine, mm -hmm. did you... Did you move in with them at that time? Were they your foster parents initially or? Yeah, they were. So the way that it was at SOS is they have a house and you live in that house full time. And then they, they hire people to also come live in that house and take care of you full time. Okay. Like, like they literally live there. They get two days off and they can go wherever they want for those two days. But for at least five days a week, they're in that house 24 seven, taking care of the children as if they're their own. Huh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So what, what was the age range? Like, cause in my mind, we had something similar in Wichita, um, but it was typically for, you know, teenagers. Mm -hmm. But what was the age group for this home? Like, was it all ages or? Yeah, it was all ages. I've seen them come in as young as six months. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that is a... Hmm. So when you met them, 
and they took you in. Um, would you consider them being like your mentors or did you have someone outside of them that was a mentor to you? Honestly, when I was a child, I hated the idea of mentoring. Tell me more. <laughs> and then we'll go back to the original question. <laughs> because for me, it, it got in the way of me watching anime at night. So it's like, I don't want to come talk to you. I want to sit home and watch Dragon Ball Z. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why am I doing this? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> okay so when you were accepting a mentor <laughs> yeah honestly it hasn't been till recently that I've accepted the fact that I needed a mentor so it's like I would say within these past five years I I've been like yeah I need somebody that I can look up to okay interesting yeah and so do you feel like in general, kids who are brought up in the system, that's kind of how they see things. Like, it's kind of just like, I don't really need someone else to tell me how to live life or. So for me, I think that you grow up with the mindset because I have been transitioned from home to home and home to home, I, didn't necessarily resent people, but I didn't trust anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want anybody to get close to me. I had no desire to form any bonds. And I think that's because you're going from home to home, you're meeting these, you know, some of them are awesome people. And you're like, man, I wish I could stay here. And you form bonds with these people. And then the next day you're ripped and you're at a whole new place. And the process starts over again. You become a little callous. Right. Point where it's like I, I have no desire to form bonds so I didn't desire mentorship because of that reason I had no desire do you so I know you said that in the home there was multiple people like mm -hmm. multiple kids were they mostly boys honestly so I was the first generation at SOS okay so they just had siblings together like it was me um me and my sister another guy and his sister like three sets of siblings that's perfect then because I want to ask you <laughs> do you notice a difference between because you're saying that you know you didn't really have the capacity to gain these relationships with other people right mm -hmm. do you see a difference between you and how you react to others and your sister and how she reacts to others so my sister is a whole nother subject, <laughs> primarily because I cut off relationship with her. Um, mm. I could not forgive her for allowing her children to end up in foster care. So that, and it was frustrating because I didn't, I couldn't take them, you know? Um, how old well how old was she when she started having kids i don't even remember she must have been like 20 something okay so an adult yeah um but the girls went into foster care around yes. around yeah five or six around the same time that we did and it's mm -hmm. like 
I was like, you know what we've went through. Right. So it's like, it, it was a, how dare you let your child even be exposed to this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was even more frustrating because my adoptive mother was like, you, all you had to do was call me and I would have came and got them. Right. And then you could have just picked up the girls when you were ready. Right. So just dealing with that, I, I couldn't keep a relationship with her. Um, is this something that you've processed before? Like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. Um, so the girls, are they still in the system or? As far as I know, they are. Yeah. Okay. So, and I think that is a, it's obviously a different conversation, but mm -hmm. I think that it is also worth mentioning that unfortunately it's a cycle. Yes. Uh, and I mean, it takes hard work to decide that you're going to change that cycle. You're going to break it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, I mean, ultimately that answers the question that there, there was there was definitely difficulty between her and her engagement with others as well. Yes. So, what led you to deciding that you wanted a different lifestyle, like that? Because I, I mean, now we know that you've seen. A whole nother <laughs> yeah. I don't even know the word for it, but like you've seen it twice happen. Yeah. Like I've I've seen it come full circle. Right. And while also being in that circle. <laughs> right. So for me, my moment of change was when I turned 18, my adoptive mother let me read through a file they had for me. So they have a file and it has all the information as to why I'm in foster care and information on my parents, the court dates, you know, all of it. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I remember just reading that at the age of 18 in the garage. Honestly, I don't even think my mom let me read it. I think I just stumbled upon Found it, it in the garage. And I read in there that my parents just stopped coming to court oh wow yeah and so with that i was like why would you not want me you know like that that will smith uh uncle phil moment like why don't yeah you? and that's how i felt like i just remember crying to myself and and it was in that moment that i was like i want thousand percent refuse to allow myself or my children to experience anything that I had ever went through and it's to the point like my wife gets on me sometimes and she's like you're projecting your childhood onto your child and you're trying to make sure that they don't go through what you go through and it's just something is like every year I'm like no she needs new shoes I'm going to buy mm -hmm. her brand new sneakers and they have to be name brand <laughs> or <laughs> something like Halloween. I'm like, she's going to buy, I, I bought her five Halloween costumes 
Oh my gosh. And <laughs> so it's like, I'd never had an actual Halloween costumes. And, you know, I, the shoes that I did have for school, um, around the age of 16, I had to work for those myself. Right. So it, it was like, I don't want them to feel any part of what I had to go through. And it, it's been paying off so far because my wife told me the other night, my five-year-old was in the kitchen and she has like long hair and braids and beads. And she's like playing with her, her beads. And she's like, it's so good to be me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so adorable. <laughs> so, I'm like, you know, that, that touches my soul to yeah. hear that in, in ways that nothing can ever touch my soul. So, um, granted, I understand that projection is not healthy. So I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, you know, I think that you get a sense of wanting to protect and the best way you know how is to ensure that they understand why mm-hmm. you are as protective as you are, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know if that's a conversation you've ever really had, but <laughs> <laughs> but with your wife, though, I think, you know, for the most part, she gets it, you know? She does. Well, I was about to say... Sort of <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, she's sympathetic because she'll be like, just go get the shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, you are spoiling these co- kids rotten. <laughs> I am trying. I'm trying to. Um, so I know that one of the things that you want to do or have been doing, I don't know if it's up and running, you'll tell me, but mm-hmm. is give back through mentoring even though you just decided that you needed a mentor (laughs) I I know it's kind of like an oxymoron right but (laughs) I it's something that I was doing earlier um and then I had to shut down due to life right um so now I'm in a better place and I think with the life experience that I've gained, it's only right to give back and to be a part of someone's life. Even like, I understand that a child may not take to me right away or a person may not take to me right away, but I want to be there when they make that decision to, hey, I want to be around. Absolutely. So I, I think that's the, op- I, I want to be open mm-hmm. for those who need it. So. But and I yeah, think- 20, 2023 is when I plan on opening up again. Okay. And I think the the important part is showing up, right? There's not a lot of people mm-hmm. that, or well, that I've seen that actually just shows up. And so I think that's a good, a good step in giving back because we both know that, that that's just not something that's available or even offered. And I know this was a whole nother conversation and I don't even know if you want to touch it, but when everybody's having this pro-life and pro-choice argument, how many, how many kids are in the foster care system that you don't care about? And I know because I was one of the people you didn't care about. Like I, people 
even till this day, I'm still treated with a negative stigma because I grew up in foster care. So let's talk like, about that though. Like, <laughs> what is <laughs> what are some of the things that you've experienced after they find out? Like, because I know what I know is I still see it on applications today. Is that's one of the questions that's asked. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are like what are some of the things that you experience when they find out that you have a history in foster care? For me, it's just more or less like the sideway looks. And it, it just comes off like they're being extremely cautious for no reason. And like, you know, I guess I know a lot of foster children are known to have like tempers and things of that nature. Um, so it's just one of those like just tiptoeing around me as if I don't notice what's going on mm-hmm. or even just talking behind my back and me just eventually eventually figured finding it out so just I in all my life the only thing that I've ever wanted was to be a normal kid yeah I I think it's wrong for people to have such a negative stigma against foster kids because that's all they want is to be normal you don't think that we know that we're different like you don't think we know that when we go home we don't have an actual family to go to like you don't think that's more than enough on our plate as it is so i think i i I just don't want to be treated different that's fair so well i guess my question would be um how how well how do people find out that you have a history i'm pretty open about it because (laughs) uh, it's a a part of who i am you know it's a part of my story and that's true i i think that i've turned out to be a pretty decent person i'm not where i want to be yet but i think i've made great strides and I am proud of who I am, so I I don't try to hide it. That's true. I mean, I can't say that a lot of people know my story. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, they do now because I wrote it it and put it on YouTube (laughs) and Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Little snippets here and there. But I'm definitely an open book as well. So if anybody was to ask the question, I would be honest and open about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too, because I know when we were growing up, because we're about the same age, when we were growing up, I mean, it was kind of glamorized when it came to like foster kids in adoption situations mm-hmm. with, you know, the um, Wendy's dude, Dave, sorry, my oh, bad, yeah, I yeah. forgot his name. <laughs> <laughs> with Dave and then, you know, like the national adoption hotline trying to adopt us out and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm. So, like, other than that, like, you didn't really hear about the struggles that foster kids go through. So I remember when I was in the system, I often was like, is there anyone like me? Right. Other than, you know, the kids that was in the house with me, which Mm -hmm. that's a whole different story. But, (laughs) (laughs) 
but you know when you went to school though you and those other kids separated so it's like yeah. is there anybody else in this room that really understand what I go through on a daily basis of mm-hmm. you know basically getting when that bell ring is unknown what's going to happen next like it's yeah. unknown if my social worker or my caseworker is going to come pick me up and I'm going to go somewhere else mm-hmm. like people don't understand that so I think that it's a great 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 thing that you're coming up with this or restarting your mentor program um so that someone does understand that hey there's a lot of people just like you you Mm -hmm. know so i i think one of the best things we can do for the kids is like you said is just show up and be there a hundred percent while you're there uh Mm -hmm so often kids are forced to interact with disingenuous people. And it t- in my opinion, it takes more energy to be disingenuous than it does to be, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't understand. Like, that is one thing I don't understand is yeah. why not be genuine in your approach with other people and why lie? Like those are two right. of the most energy draining things mm-hmm. that you can do that I just really don't understand how you have the energy or time to do it. I think that they think they're doing people a favor by feeding them a lie. And I heard this thing, which I thought was fascinating. It's like, when you tell someone a lie, you are stealing their reality. You're denying yeah. them their reality. And I was like, that the concept is amazing, not the act of doing it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I was just like mind blown. It's like, you're stealing that person's reality. And it's the most, the fact that you're doing that to a child. I agree with that because you don't give them the option to mm-hmm. process the like what the truth is and then decide what they want to do with that information mm-hmm. you know like then they're gonna find out because it's gonna come out somewhere yes. down the line you know like with you when you get access to that file because any of us can apply at 18 yeah. <laughs> for that file <laughs> and then you find out you know all the crap that really went on you know, mm-hmm. I wish in your case that there was a little bit more details as to, you know, your parents and why they kind of disappeared. So um, um, I don't, I, I know from my father just up and left. I know my mother, she contracted um, HIV and passed away. I, I, because I was so young, I can't necessarily put a pinpoint in the timeline as to when she contracted HIV and when she stopped showing up. Right. So I, I, I can't say, but I do know that that's what happened to her. So my question would be, um, now that you're older, because mm-hmm. I know when you first found that information, it was tough, Yeah. but n- now we're some years later, um, do you think about that a little different? Uh, her side, of course, um, because she she didn't have a choice, kind of. 
so if it was because of the HIV, HIV I would accept that. Um, honestly, either way, I will accept it for my father or my mother. I'm okay. at a place where I can accept it because I've come to a point where I understand everybody is doing what they think is best for them. Mm-hmm. And I am not to judge anybody for doing what they need to survive because life is hard. Right. And I understand it's a difficult and tedious situation having to go to and from court. And sometimes you feel like you're, you may be feeling like you're fighting an uphill battle. And I'm pretty sure they made it difficult for them to get me, get me back because there are incentives to having children in foster care. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't fault either of them for it. I'm not going to lie to you, though. If you would have asked me this a couple years ago, I it had been vowed, different. <laughs> I, I vowed, I literally vowed to throat punch my father if ever I met him. Dang, he said on sight. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, but that's real, though. Like, I think that all of us, and I think I can make this as a general statement, all of us who have went through the system, we had to go through a, a period of understanding mm-hmm. and a period of growth through yeah. that process because even if you had a good experience not being with your family is tragic mm-hmm. yes and very traumatic um mm-hmm. and so i think that all i all of us have to go through some part part, part of healing um through that journey and so i'm so glad that you were able to because once you get to you never get over it like yeah it's an experience mm-hmm. that we we went through um mm-hmm. but once you get to a point where you are healed you're able to help others in the way that you are now you yeah. know and, and i think, I, I think that's what the world needs is just more people willing to help um, and it's not even about the financial game. It's about wanting, not wanting someone to go through what you went through. And right. I think that because I often ask people what they think the meaning of life is. And for me, I think it's creating something that will outlive you. Mm. So I want my reputation, I want my businesses to all be in great standings and in great condition without any tarnish. So that way, when I leave, my children are taken care of and my children's children are taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely important to build a legacy, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, all right. If you had to give advice <laughs> to let's start with the foster families that can be parents that can be you know caregivers mm-hmm. what would it be if you make a decision to foster a child make sure that your heart is in the right place 
because that child literally depends on you. Yeah. Um, if you had to give advice to the children in foster care. I would say find some friends that you know you can depend on and that you know are headed in the right direction. Um, and you create a tribe of sorts and you surround yourself with good and like-minded people so that way, whenever you are feeling short or you feel as if you're having a shortcoming, you have positive and great people there to pick you up and put you back on the path that you were meant to walk. I like that. And I'll just end it with saying, just remember that even though your family doesn't look like everybody else's around you, that you get to choose. And that's, that's the real truth. You get to Absolutely. choose who your family is. So... All right. Thank you, Jackie. So tell them how they can find you. Yes. So you can find me on Instagram, underscore the Jackie Lewis, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, the Jackie Lewis. Awesome. So go follow him and we'll be back for the next episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having me.